So today as part of our podcast series, which is powered by Upside Global, we have the honor to interview James Murray, the chief of staff of AC Milan, the top Italian soccer team. So James is also the non-executive director at the Scottish Women's Premier League. So James, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Great. So James, you know, what I want to talk to you about today was first uh, talk about your background, then we'll, we'll talk about your role at AC Milan. And I also like to uh, get your thoughts on winning the the Series A, right? Uh, and then I would love to get your thoughts on your recent partnerships in the NFT space with companies like Sorare, OneFootball, and Socios. And then uh, I'd love for you to talk about your non-executive position in the Scottish women's football and how important it is to you. And then we'll talk about the growing popularity of women's soccer uh, at the latest European Soccer Championship. So how does it sound? That sounds great to me. Look forward to it. Great. So, James, could you start by telling us about your, your role as a chief of staff at AC Milan? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess um, it's it's quite a common question. I guess it makes people think of the White House or the West Wing or something, uh, calling yourself a chief of staff. But uh, I was I was the first hire uh, by the chief executive, uh, Ivan Gazidis, when he moved from Arsenal to, to AC Milan underneath the new ownership of, uh, of Elliott Management a few years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm essentially came in without a, a job description, but with a mandate to, to help the chief executive and the ownership to define what the club needed to do better, where we needed to invest, uh, what our priorities should be, and then really just to get my hands dirty on the execution of, of those priority projects. So, you know, I've had the opportunity to work across almost all areas of the club in the last, uh, last three and a half years or so that I've spent with Milan from commercial deals uh, to a lot of the planning behind our new stadium projects to more branding-led initiatives like our, our partnership and work with with Rock Nation to yeah. budgeting and financial planning. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's a great variety of, uh, of projects and, and that's what I really enjoy about the role and keeps them pretty busy. In addition to that, I also help manage some of the club's um, external institutional relationships with with organizations like ECA, UEFA and, and Serie A. So get that, that sort of broad perspective of, of the football industry. So it's 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 been a great ride, honestly. It's uh, it's now nearly ten years I've been working in club football, yeah. um, and uh, fair to say the industry has changed quite a lot. I've seen it from two different perspectives, two different leagues, two different big clubs, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully a lot more to come from from the Stacey Milan project. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I was going to ask you. I mean, you cannot touch on that, but you know, working for a top uh, Italian soccer team versus working for a top Premier League club, right? I'm sure from a cultural standpoint. It's different, right? Uh, but and then you know AC Milan. You know I grew up in France in Europe, and AC Milan back in the day was, I mean, it still is a great one of the top clubs in the in the world, quite frankly. So, um, I mean, what is it like, I guess, to work for AC Milan on a day to day basis, um, for you? Well, I mean, it's it's an incredibly special organization, and what you just said there is something that you hear repeatedly on a day to day basis. Whoever you come across, like there's there's this incredible history heritage um and and this incredible goodwill towards ac milan from from football fans and, and non-football fans alike this is an incredible global heritage brand with hundreds of millions of, of fans and followers uh, but it's fair to say that both ac milan and italian football had had a difficult 10-year period um from yeah. sort of the the, the the mid-2000s up until uh, around sort of five years ago and and i think you know that obviously has created some challenges uh, for for the club and for its competitors in Italy, but it's also an enormous opportunity. You know, we talk about uh, or talked about when we first right from when we first arrived, and I believe it's still to be true today that AC Milan 
has the highest growth potential in the in the football league with the highest growth potential in the world. You know, I think when you, when you look at the types of investment and development that the Premier League had made in stadiums and in, in commercial and in global broadcasting, which has led to the successful product that you see today, we have so much of that growth ahead of us. And I think we've taken some massive leaps and bounds, particularly as a, as a club on that journey in the last few years, but we still have so much upside left to realise. And I think that's, you know, you're seeing... The, for, the ownership profile of Serie A clubs changing. You're seeing a lot more foreign institutional owners coming into to Serie A, recognizing that growth potential. Um, and I think that you know that can only help us to to realize some of the uh, some of the, the potential opportunity that that we all see there. So, you know, it's um, it's an amazing organization to work for. It's 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 a uh, it's something that really means much more than a than a business or or even a football team you know you you really get the sense that it's it's a part of people's identity and that comes with a huge sense of responsibility we have a responsibility to make people feel proud to be associated with with AC Milan and that's about being successful but it's also about the way that you act and and the types of decisions that you make and, and the values that you represent yeah I think you made a great point you know obviously I don't work for AC Milan but I, I can totally see what you're saying uh it's I mean it's a responsibility right and, and the club has such an aura still a great reputation across the world so um can you talk to me about you know what it was like to win the the championship series A last year right because you guys have been waiting for 11 years I believe right 11 seasons so I'm sure it was a big deal to you guys right and to be the you know, other top clubs like Juventus and, and the other ones that must be uh, make you feel really good, right? So uh, it was it was uh, it was such a special thing to be a part of, honestly. And I think, as you said, the fan base had, had waited eleven years. Uh, and I think, you know, to my to my previous point, I think it was not just so much about what was achieved. Like the the, the magnitude of the the Serie A title was was obviously huge, particularly in the context of the weight. But I think it was also how the club and the and and uh, the ownership and and the technical department had managed to do it. You know, by not just outspending the competitors, but by yeah. bringing AC Milan back into in, into competitiveness and ultimately winning the title, whilst also significantly reducing the wage bill, um, and uh, and whilst you know in the process reconstructing the off pitch side of the club and gen and starting to to generate the kind of commercial set success that the, that had, uh, that the club had seen in its uh, in its re more recent history. So I think that you know there was this. Also, you know, you lay on top of that the fact that we just come out of or we're just coming out of the global pandemic, we all hope. Um, and it, there was this incredible release of emotion. You had hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets of Milan when the, the team were going through the city to, to parade the trophy. We had, you know, a couple of thousand people at midnight on the night when the team came back from their, the away game where they won the title and were outside our office with, you know, flares and and, uh, and like singing and celebrating. And, it, you know, the really the... The euphoria lasted a full yeah. three, three days uh, among the city. And then, you know, images started to filter through of all of the our fan base globally celebrating uh, the event. So we had you know, hundreds of watch parties and celebrations going on in every country in the world. Uh, and you know, we started to see fans had proactively taken it upon themselves to crowdfund um, money to purchase advertising space on our behalf to celebrate uh, the, the Scudetto. So you had skyscrapers in China right. lighting lighting up red and black with the AC Milan logo saying, you know, congratulations, AC Milan champions. So that, you know, if we if we weren't aware before, that really gave us a sense of the scale of uh, of the following and the passion of the fan base that we have. It was it was a really 
uh, incredible experience and, and hopefully one that we're going to be able to use as as the platform for for more success. Yeah, I think you got you got a great start of the new season, right? You guys are doing well already, and uh, I think you're off to a great start again. Hey, I I, I want to switch the conversation because we you know we obviously in the world of sports and tech, uh, we've been following the 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 Web 3.0 NFT metaverse space very closely. We've got some analysis. We've done reports on that. But you guys have been, you know, quite active, right, in that space. You, you build a partnership with companies like Sorare, One Football, Socios. Um, how important are those partnerships to you guys? And maybe, I, you know, my question also is, what, what is your take on this whole Web 3.0 space? Uh, what's your opinion on what's happening right now? Yeah, look, I think it's it's super exciting. We've we've been uh, we've been very fortunate to be able to do uh, a lot of partnership deals, including a lot of club firsts in in different areas over over the last few years. So you know, we have our, had our first ever sleeve sponsorship uh, with with Bitmex, which is another company very active in the in, in the crypto trading space. Uh, our back of shirt with a very disruptive insurance company called uh, called WeFox. Uh, renewal with some of uh, some big international brands like like Puma. We brought BMW in, sort of representing, you know, AC Milan's I guess rebirth as a as a real premium global property within sports. And then, as you say, more recently, um, we've started to see a huge amount of activity across the sports industry, and and not only in sports uh, around around Web three and and what that means. And I think the question on everyone's lips is really around. What does that mean for the way in which brands and and therefore sports organisations will engage with you know the next generation of customers and uh, and and in our case fans, and I think you know that we 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 try we try to take a very progressive approach and try to you know be be amongst the first uh, to to jump on top of trends that we see as important developments in the way that we interact with our fans and I think that progression towards Web three uh, you know certainly appears to be one that is 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 going to be here to stay and is going to only only kind of accelerate i think the reality is that we are only are only just scratching the surface of uh, of the pot of the potential that that that, that technology and and uh, and those platforms open up in terms of how you can engage with your with your fans partnering with organizations like Sarer and and one football and socios who bring so much credibility technology and expertise um to uh, within those areas i think you know there's a huge mutual learning experience there's you know there's a, there's an amazing scalability to working with companies like that um and i think that you know hopefully we can leverage those partnerships uh, to really be able to create some exciting you know new experiences for our fans uh and and make sure that we are relating to them in the platforms and in the ways in which they they're going to be uh they're going to be consuming their content so i think it's it feels like an incredibly, incredibly important trend. It feels like an area that we we need to have expertise. We need to be working with the right people. And on the basis of what we've seen from the start of those partnerships that you mentioned, uh, I think that there's uh, there's some really exciting stuff to come. Yeah, like I said, you guys, I think I've been kind of a pioneer in that space. Early on, you teamed up with some big players. Uh, you know, we we cover anywhere on the spectrum, right? Anywhere from like Web 3.0, but also performance technology. Anywhere from GPS, cardio injury prevention software. And I and I remember reading from many years ago that you guys were kind of a pioneer when it comes to preparing the players mentally, right? And people have been talking about the mind room as maybe Milan, AC Milan has been one of the first clubs to do that. So again, I think from a technology perspective, broadly, I think AC Milan has been kind of an early adopter, right, of those, of those technology from a very large spectrum, if that makes sense. Right. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. Like, 
it's another big part of the club's um, more recent history and history and heritage. We, you know, the the, the folklore around Milan Lab, as it uh, as it's called, which is our you know the kind of umbrella term for the more technology and data driven areas of our performance uh, performance side, is uh, is incredible. You know, at AC Milan were absolutely a pioneer as far back as the you know the late eighties and early nineties in modern technology around enhancing sports performance, and so. You know, it's it's important as the the stewards of of the club to continue that reputation. So you know, we uh, we have we're heavily data driven in the way that we recruit players and the way that we analyze performance, and we're always looking to to make sure that we continue to be leaders in uh, in the way in which we use technology, both both on and off the pitch. And uh, and hopefully, you know, there's there's a bright future for Milan Lab as a as. Uh, as as kind of a concept and umbrella, which can live up to the incredible heritage that we have. You know, it's it, it, the the stories of, but uh, even within even kind of as far back as the Berlusconi era, mm-hmm. how the club how the how the club used to push the boundaries. Um, and you know, players uh, and our and our legends will still regularly talk about it. You know, and credit it with them playing. You know, many of them into their late thirties and forties. So it's it's uh, yeah. you know it's amazing part of our brand story which gives us a, a lot of potential to exploit yeah and i think that's part of your your strengths quite frankly right um you know having that lab right like you said um hey uh next topic because i know it's a, it's a topic close to your heart so can you talk about your your new non-executive position in the scottish women's football and how important is it to you yeah, this is something which I I become involved in relatively recently, only in the in in the last few months. Uh, been been appointed to the board of a new entity, which uh, the clubs and state and other stakeholder groups in in Scotland have formed, uh, the Scottish Women's Premier League. Uh, and you know, I, I just think I think it's exciting that the clubs, um, uh, in particular, but in general, the game in Scotland has got behind the women's game and and seen it as the right time to you know, develop this new entity establish this uh, uh, this this new league and really invest in the professionalism and the growth of, of the women's game uh, and so yeah, I've, I'm uh, someone I, I despite my my accent I do have Scottish heritage and it's mm-hmm. something which uh, I'm you know incredibly proud to be a part of and I think it's uh, it's only the start of what I think is going to be a really exciting journey and I think people are now uh, if they weren't already really waking up to the potential of, uh, of women's sports and women's football in particular. So, you know, the timing of this project really couldn't have been any better, I don't think. Yeah, and look, we, you know, uh, I guess uh, women athletes and research towards women athletes is a key, key focus for us. And like you said, I think it's really, uh, it's getting more and more popular, right? So were you surprised by the growing popularity of women's soccer, for example, at the latest European soccer championship? I was blown away, I have to tell you. When I watched some of those games, you know, I was just like, wow, this is very high level and it's actually fun to watch, right? So, but what's yeah, your- I mean, as, some, as, as someone who's been involved in in uh, profession, in elite football for, as I said, the last sort of 10 years, I've, I've seen this this growing um, groundswell of, of support and momentum around women's football. So I can't say that it came as a, as a complete surprise. I always thought it was a case of when and not if the potential yeah. and uh, and attractiveness of, of women's football was was going to be discovered um but perhaps the scale of of the the viewership and the and the passion and you know, they were talking about i think uefa released the numbers of 365 million cumulative viewer, viewers of uh, of the most recent women's championships and some yeah. of the scenes that we saw from 
from the stadium and obviously the celebrations around England winning the uh, their, their yeah. home tournament which is phenomenal um and I think you know again we we launched uh, the the, the rebranded Scottish Women's League only days after that final um which is which which was really kind of perfect timing but I think that when anyone who's attended a women's match can understand the the potential and, and the appeal around it you know the 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 women who who are and have been involved in uh, in professional football or in in women's football even before it became uh, uh, even before it started the journey towards professionalizing as it as it is at the moment are incredible role models and ambassadors and you know they they understand the responsibility that that they have um, and the values that they have the potential to uh, to represent around inclusiveness and progressiveness and uh, and tackling adversity. And there is a closeness between the fans and the players, which you know I think has, has has sadly you know in many cases been been lost in the men's game, at least at the uh, at, at the physical events. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that you know women's football has has such a unique opportunity um, to kind of capture the imagination of of people and to reap ultimately the the commercial rewards of that. I think that you know there is there's every uh, every, every hope and aspiration that uh, that women's football should become kind of commercially sustainable um, and incredibly successful in uh, in in the short term even and I think you know that's that's effectively the opportunity that I've seen in uh, in, in the Scottish game which certainly has a lot to learn from uh, from some of its uh, from some of the, the more developed uh, women's football programs around the world but um, you know it's it's certainly not something which is a which is a surprise to me and I think again you know it's something I I keep on saying, but I think that we're, we're really only scratching the surface of the potential that women's football has. I couldn't agree more. I think you, you're spot on that one. And so, look, uh, we are the end of the podcast interview, but I wanted to thank you for, for your time today. It was uh, great talking to you. No, thank you, Julian. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you.